Hello there. My name's Phil Williams and I would like to welcome you to Audio Angling, the podcast site of fishingfilmsandfacts.co.uk. For as far back in time as I can remember, I've been an angler, but living well away from the coast as I do, my early fishing tended mainly to be in fresh water, though the draw of the sea was always there. So whenever family holidays took us to the coast, I would fish from the rocks, piers and occasionally from boats. But it wasn't until we started holidaying in Cornwall back in the early 1960s that I got to do some proper offshore fishing. As Lou was nearby, and as shark fishing was at the time the in thing on the sea angling scene, I managed to persuade my dad to get me onto a sharking trip out from the port where I caught my first blue shark, after which, as they say, I never looked back. Many trips out from the narrow river entrance followed, though not always for shark. In fact, very rarely for sharks as the offshore reef fishing, particularly for red bream, was really something else. I regularly fished aboard such boats as Valhalla, Ganesha and Polaris, though if I did fish for the sharks, it was always with Bonzo Butters aboard his boat Marcherie. But even before my first sharking trip back in 1964, the reputation of Lewis and Angling Port was pretty well established. So I'm going to ask the current tackle shop owner, Martin Bray, based down on the East Key at Lou, to give us a bit of a history behind why Lou in particular developed its famed association with shark fishing. It started with Brigadier Cornter, basically, who retired down here during the war, bought his own boat and had a local skipper and went out fishing. And back in those days with... uh, Shoals of pilchard coming in fairly close in shore, sharks would follow those in. So uh, he was the instigator and the founder member of the Shark Angling Club of Great Britain, along with others. And that was in uh, the late 40s, early 50s. I suspect that the whole approach to shark fishing back in those early days would, for want of a better way of putting it, have been quite primitive by comparison to today particularly in terms of chumming, tackle, presentation and the rest? Uh, y- yes, I don't know how where they got the... Uh, they always used to, as they called Rubby Dubby down in this part of the world, where they had a plentiful supply of pilchards, and uh, they used to take out two or three stone of pilchard, mash them up, put it in a net and hang it over the side of the boat, which uh, helped bring the sharks in. And, of course, the tackle that they used back in those days were was really heavy. Hardy split cane rods and big 7-inch centre pin Fortuna reels and line that they used had to be almost as thick as your finger for 100-pound breaking strain line. So that has changed out of all recognition now. So uh, that is the main change in... Uh, People sharking nowadays will use line only up to about 50 pound breaking strain and light rods up to 30 pound class and uh, they can catch uh, sharks with that now and braided line of course. So that has changed out of all recognition. Taking an even greater step back in time, sharks have probably always been present in the western approaches. The fact that anglers hadn't cottoned on to fishing for them is another matter. Yeah, I mean, back in those days there were shoals of pilchard and the main fishing industry of Lou was pilchard fishing. Drift netting for pilchards, so they used to go out every night and bring in hundreds, if not thousands, of stones between them. 
but now you don't get the uh, big shoals of pilchard anywhere near the shores that you used to. So the blue shark and sharks generally have declined in number. I think they're still out there, but they don't, uh, they don't seem to be attracted close inshore like they used to be. Another difference, presumably, between then and now would be the average size and numbers of blue shark available. What then would have been a typical catch for a trip back in the late 1950s and early 60s? In the early days, blue sharks up to, I would say, a hundred pound were quite common. You had a catch one of 75 pound to qualify for the Shark Angling Club of Great Britain. And as for numbers, they would catch on a good day up to 12 sharks on a boat. And don't forget there were about 15 boats going out every day. And some real characters at the helms of these boats too. Do you recall any of the names and the boats they skippered? Oh, the skippers, uh, they were all local, from old fishing families. The butters, there was uh, Bonzo butters, there were Dick butters, Charlie butters, and then you had Jack Sody, and then there were the Pengelis, uh, Raymond Pengeli was one of the first people to uh, take people out shark fishing. Then, after a time, the bigger boats that used to go out mackerel drifting at night came in, shook out their nets, landed their fish, and then would take people out sharking, which was a sort of down market uh, way of doing it because they used to take up to eight people eight to ten people aboard the boat whereas with the smaller boats um, four was the maximum that they would ever take out so uh, you could uh, they could do it at sort of half the price per person that the uh, smaller boats used to do yeah I vaguely remember that too weren't they referred to as luggers mm. they were the luggers but the smaller four-man sharkers were also commercial boats too there were like smaller luggers, yes. When it, I mean, the luggers stemmed from boats that uh, were pure sailing boats. And then, after just after the First World War, uh, motorized diesels became available, and they converted them to uh, motor vessels, retaining only the big mizzen sail at the rear of the boat, at the stern of the boat and the when motors became available and that they realized that um, smaller boats would be able to do just as much with uh, pilchard fishing netting as as the bigger boats so it required only two people aboard the boat rather than four that they had to have on the uh, the bigger boats so it was brigadier Conter who set the loose shark fishing scene in motion but it would have taken time to gain momentum. When was it then that that momentum actually peaked with shark fishing for the masses instead of just for the well-heeled few? Uh, that didn't happen until my father probably when he opened his shop here um, in the early 50s and he used it then as a booking office for the boats that he ran which were tripping boats that used to take people up and down the coast. Then we thought, um, I think he was probably approached by some of the fishermen who wanted to take people out angling, and it started then. 
and from then until the late 50s, early 60s, uh, we had a stand at uh, the Earl's Court Boat Show, which brought a lot of uh, business this way, and uh, it grew from there. And when did it reach its popularity peak? Uh, the late 50s up until the end of the 60s, 70s, and then after that the shark fishing didn't decline to that extent, but what started to take over was the uh, handline fishing, commercial fishing for, for mackerel. So the boats that used to take anglers out then wanted to change over come September uh, to handlining for mackerel and that lasted I suppose for about uh, only about 10 to 15 years and then the mackerel declined now so there's very little uh, other than small inshore boats handlining for mackerel in this part of the world. I accept that perhaps shark numbers didn't start to decline to any noticeable degree at first but certainly their average and expected maximum sizes did, as lots of smaller fish made it in onto the scene. Yes, I, I don't know why that should be. We always like to blame the French for everything, and they, uh, they long-lined for, for blue shark. That's a huge, several miles of hooks, baited. And uh, whether that had any influence on it or not, I don't know. But you always caught a lot of small shark later on in the summer, August time, July and August, when apparently the female blues come this side of the Atlantic and the male blues go to the eastern seaboards of the United States. Now they obviously meet somewhere in the middle and the female blue sharks have their young in these waters. So unfortunately you do tend to catch a lot of immature young sharks, or they did. But of course nowadays whatever shark they catch, they tag and release, put back in. Was the tagging a case of catering to a change in public opinion away from the days when sharks would be brought ashore and hung up on display? Or perhaps something that's grown out of a quest for more knowledge spearheaded by organisations such as the Shark Angling Club of Great Britain? Or has the decline in shark fishing interest these days seen this once illustrious club fall into decline, losing some of its potency and momentum? Yes, it has. Yes, it, um, it was very much, back in the 50s and 60s, it was very much a gentleman's club. But now the headquarters, I think, is still based in Lou. But um, no, it's, it's a shadow of uh, what it used to be. As I passed the club building on the way here today, it struck me as a tacky little shop and bar rather than a major species-driven organisation. Perhaps it's more of a social and drinking club these days. More or less. Back in the 50s or 60s, a lot of people would come down here for the big game fishing, which was sharking. But then, of course, with air travel becoming increasingly available and at a fraction of the price that it used to be before the war, the wealthier people gave up coming to Cornwall for fishing and went to the Indian Ocean, to Florida, to the Caribbean and uh, that's where we lost uh, a, lot of the, uh, a lot of our customers, the more wealthy ones anyway. One point I've picked up on over recent times is that in our more enlightened era of tagging and conservation, the average size 
and certainly the sealing sizes of blue sharks now caught on our side of the Atlantic has started climbing back towards where it used to be. Only a couple of months ago I saw a photograph in one of the magazines of a beautiful blue shark from Wales that weighed well in excess of 200 pounds. So maybe angling did make its contribution to the downward size spiral of the late 1970s and early 80s. Could well be. I don't think we've had a blue shark of uh, much more than 100 pounds landed in Lou in the last 10, 12, 15 years, I don't think. I may be wrong, but... Uh... Now, as I recall it, the blue shark was a bread and butter fish down here at Lou. That was a sort of staple, staple fish, yes. But makos were the ones that uh, the uh, real anglers wanted to get. And uh, you had to have a skipper who knew what was doing to handle one of those fish, which were upwards of 300 pounds. And they had to be dragged to the boat. This is the, uh, this is the thing. Was there ever any sort of discernible pattern to those mako catches? Or were they just a welcomed additional bonus, if you got lucky? No, they would go out fishing for, um, for blue shark. And if a mako came along, that was a bonus. Occasionally you would find some skippers and anglers would agree to just go for the big mako where they would use a bigger hook and maybe anchor over rock or make sure they were drifting over rocks or somewhere where mako fish would be feeding. But uh, mako like blue shark, I'm sure they, they feed on mackerel and pilchards, shoals. So uh, they, they would fish for, for mako pretty well the same as they'd fish for a blue shark. From what I know of mako fishing, which like most people in Britain is admittedly not a lot, they appear to have some affinity with shallow lying, though not necessarily inshore reefy ground. I think, yes, you're probably right. Uh, you can catch, uh, Paul Beagle particularly, you can catch uh, fairly close inshore. And uh, mako as well, they've been seen and often mistaken for great whites, which is not good publicity, maybe. <laughs> now, the biggest and probably best known maker of all time is the one caught by Joyce Yallop aboard Alan Dingle's boat, Lady Betty. What do you recall about that particular event? Yeah, I have a photograph of it somewhere. But uh, she was a well-built lady. But uh, even so, it took at least three hours to get the boat, uh, to get the shark to the boat. And uh, I think she, she was complaining of aches and pains for weeks afterwards. But she was a dedicated woman who used to come down regularly every year and uh, go out fishing with the same skipper pretty well all the time. Yeah. And that was Alan, yeah. I believe that that particular fish was actually spotted and approached as opposed to being tempted in onto the baits by the rubby dubby. Possibly, yes, I can't, I can't remember that. It's a long time ago, but the story as I remember it was that they were out fishing towards the Eddystone when they spotted a big fish on the surface which they thought was a basking shark and went over to investigate. Then they tempted it with us, yes. But Alan was one of the... Uh, and his, uh, Alan's father also was uh, one of the best skippers we had in town. What can you tell us about the other two available shark species, the poor beagle and the thresher? The poor beagle, we caught them all. Thresher sharks were first caught by Brigadier Caunter back, I think it was in something like 1947. 
he caught one. And he was just with... He was fishing up at Whitsam Bay, which is a sandy bay about five miles up the coast from Loo. And um, the threshers used to come in following the... Again, following the Pilshut Shoals. And that is where he caught the thresher, not many miles offshore. And were the poor beagles similarly as occasional? Poor beagles are mostly caught over rock, and uh, they don't come in quite... They, they, I've never known one come in um, being caught within five miles of the shore. Now there was another shark species famously caught at Lou, though not exactly with the same degree of sporting skill as Joyce Yallop's big mako. I think I know what you're referring to. My father, who was a great publicist and um, thought it would be a good idea. There was actually before the war, um, Brigadier Cornter discovered this and it was um, people like Zane Gray uh, who wanted to catch big fish after the tunny had disappeared from the North Sea and they thought it would be a good idea if they could catch basking sharks. And the method back in those days, because basking sharks would just drift on top of the water, is to get your boat up alongside and with a large meat hook, not so much a fish hook, but a, a, a large meat hook, inserted into the gills of the fish and then you would play it on your rod and line. Now, this really didn't take off, which I'm glad to say. But one day we had, um, my father thought of a better method of that when spearfishing became very popular down this part of the world. He had a spear gun made up with a detachable head on the spear, which he then attached his shark fishing gear to the head and when he didn't have to go very far, funnily enough, because there was a basking shark appeared in Lou River. So he all he had to do was stand on the quayside, fire the uh, harpoon into the poor thing, and then play it on his rod. He would never in a hundred years have brought it alongside the key because it weighed, I'm guessing, but uh, it must have been half a ton of weight. But fortunately, the boys of the Lou Spearfishing Club, or it was called the Spearfishing Club of Great Britain in those days, were in the clubhouse and they all donned their wetsuits and jumped in and dragged the poor creature up onto the beach, which I can show you a photograph. I think I showed you a friend the photograph, didn't I? So that was it. But uh, I said that was back in, oh, in the late 50s. Wouldn't be acceptable to do it nowadays a protected species and they used to be caught in large numbers um, off the west coast of Scotland commercially because their livers apparently are very valuable the oil in a basking shark's liver is uh, prized What about some of the rarer species of sharks such as the odd six-killed or perhaps some occasional vagrant? I think, I mean there's um, sharks and shark families aren't they like uh, you don't get very many tote down this part of the world for some reason, although they have been caught occasionally. But there's no, there's nothing other than blue mako, poor beagle, thresher shark are the, uh, the most common ones in these waters. 
and I don't know of anything else being caught. So your father's shop down here on the quay was where it all started and grew from? For the booking of boats and, uh, yes. And the promotion of the fishing as well, I don't doubt. And reef fishing and bottom fishing. I suppose to some extent the bottom fishing would have tended to get overshadowed by the sharking. But I know how good it was from personal experience. So tell us a bit, if you will, about that side of the loop potential as well. The bottom fishing was uh, excellent. According to the tides, they only go out really doing it on neat tides where there wasn't too much running. And there were a lot of pollock to be caught, conger. There were shoals of bream, black bream mostly, a few red bream. Whenever we came down from Lancashire to fish the reefs, red bream were always our number one target species, and as I recall, we were never disappointed. We never picked up a lot of the things, maybe eight or ten a day, and in my experience back then, they well outnumbered the blacks, though that certainly isn't the case now. I can't even remember the last red bream I saw, never mind caught. A lot of the time they'd go out and fish for mackerel for a bit of bait, and feathers would go down, and if they were over rock, you'd pick up bream. And then if you baited the uh, feathers as well and left them down, you would catch... Uh, Black bream were the common ones, but uh, red bream are better eating, I think, than the black bream, aren't they? So, yeah, there are a whole variety of fish you could catch off the reefs. But to all intents and purposes, they are now extinct. They have, they have. Very occasionally you'll get somebody bringing in a black bream and don't even know what it is. And, uh, of course, red mullet, too, they catch off. Uh, there's a few of those still about, though. They catch those on a... Somebody down west, I think, were catching those on a commercial basis, I read somewhere. But, uh, yeah, red mullet is a prized uh, sea fish. Another aspect of fishing I remember with some fondness here was sending baits down to the bottom while drifting for the sharks. Providing there wasn't too much wind, or we weren't drifting over rock, we'd pick up some monster whiting, and very occasionally, other more interesting species too, including rays. One chap I remember even had a double-figure haddock. Uh, picked the tide when it was slack, either dead low or dead high tide. Yes, you could get a set of feathers down the bottom and catch whiting and all sorts of mm -hmm. uh, fish. And good whiting. What about other rarer species, either on the bottom or taking the shark baits? Not angling fish, I wouldn't say so much, but um, in the old days, the uh, old boys that would net, uh, go out of an evening pilchard fishing, sometimes they netted sunfish which are very peculiar looking things. And they would bring them in and put them on a wheelbarrow and cover it with a sack. And the visitors would have to cross the old fisherman palm with a bit of silver for him to show them the mysteries of the deep. And there would be a poor, rather dried out sunfish staring up at them from the bottom of a wheelbarrow. Somebody off Polparo caught uh, a small tuna was it last summer or the summer before? So maybe with the uh, changing of climate and that, there may be some more exotic fish about in the future than they are now. But uh... On a couple of occasions in the dim and distant past, shark anglers have even picked up opa. Really? That was down further down west than here, I bet. One of them was somewhere in the region of 130 pounds. Beautiful looking thing. People tend to mistake that we're, we're affected by the Gulf Stream, but the Gulf Stream, to be honest with you, apart from clipping Land's End, 
maybe, and then going up the west coast of Ireland and Scotland. Um, so if you do get these sort of strange tropical species, they probably lost their way. Bringing things right up to date now, what is the situation regarding shark fishing out of Loo in 2011? And how do you see the future of your shop, the port of Loo, and shark fishing generally? Fishing is unfortunately declining. There's always fish to be caught where there's, my father always used to say, where there's water, fish will swim. So uh, there's always uh, fish to be had, but it's mostly now people fishing from the shore. They will be fishing for bass and mullet that come in with the tide every tide during the summer months. Boat fishing, I honestly don't know. The shark fishing has declined, obviously, because uh, you can't get the publicity now that we used to be able to get when they used to land dozens of blue shark every day and hang them up on the quayside. People wandering the quays would see them and think, that's for me, let's go shark fishing, but it would be unacceptable nowadays to do anything other than tag them and release them. So very, very few are brought in on the boats. And, of course, when Lou was in its heyday of sharking, there were, could have been upwards of 20 boats going out every day with Rubby Dubby, and that would attract a lot of fish to the area where they were located. But now you get four or five boats going out, and it's not quite the same. You don't uh, attract the fish to it. But the unfortunate part about it is that there's still a lot of money commercially to be had by catching sharks just purely for their fins and tails. And uh, you will find, I believe, that blue sharks that have been caught off loo and tagged will end up on a market in France or Spain or somewhere where they haven't uh, got the same regulations. Uh, they've got the same regulations as we have, but... Uh, our government goes by the letter of the law and won't allow any fish like that to be landed. So, yeah, the future of my shop... Shops can change. We don't have to sell fishing tackle to survive. But there will always be youngsters that want a rod in their hand and fish over the quayside. We've been selling fishing tackle for 50 years, so I dare say we will go on selling for another few yet. And now the long and once prosperous link between Lou and shark fishing looks set to become a piece of bygone angling history. I would think that's probably right. I would think so. You're always going to get an odd one caught now and again. It'll be uh, unusual, but as I say, as if they don't bring f fish into shore so that people can see what can be caught out there, I don't see there's much future for it. But clearly, that is not going to happen. Nowadays, it would even be counterproductive. My thanks then to Martin Bray for giving us this trip down memory lane to Lou. This is the first time I've been back to the place since I last fished here in the 1970s, which spookily only seems like yesterday. And if I'm honest, it's still exactly the way I had it pictured in my mind's eye. But in terms of angling potential and public taste, times have most certainly moved on, which in some ways shows the validity of the old cliché of not putting all your eggs into one basket 
as the public's appetite for the contents of this particular basket and the means of filling it are sadly no longer what they once were.